Before we start today's show, I want to invite you to join my community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are sharing tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics for creating successful cold outreach campaigns. It's a free group on Facebook called Cold Outreach Mastery, and you can get there by heading over to morgandwilliams.com slash community. And if Facebook isn't your thing, but you still want valuable cold outreach advice, head on over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and put in your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now, let's start today's show. Welcome to Outbound Metrics. This is the number one podcast for audio case studies of outbound sales campaigns for B2B service and software companies. If you own or work for a SaaS company, digital marketing agency, or lead generation agency, and you want to generate more revenue for your company using cold outreach, you're in the right place. There's no other podcast that goes as in-depth into winning outbound sales campaigns as this one. In each episode, we reverse engineer and deconstruct what's working right now in cold outreach. I'm Morgan Williams, and over the past couple of years, I've had the opportunity to interview dozens of agency owners, SaaS founders, and growth consultants on this podcast about how they craft high-converting, multi-channel, outbound sales campaigns. And this has given me unique insight into what's working right now in the outbound sales industry. That includes onboarding, how to find data and prospects, how to use multiple channels like email, the phone, LinkedIn, direct mail, voicemail, social media, and more. I've also had the opportunity to spend my entire 13-year and counting career involved in generating new business for a wide variety of B2B software and service companies. Which brings us to today's episode. Look, over the past several years, there has been a boom in sales technology. In outbound sales alone, we've seen the emergence of many cold email and LinkedIn automation tools that have allowed sellers to leverage their outreach efforts more efficiently. Cold calling has seen a comeback with the new tools that allow you to rapidly analyze conversations to improve performance. Also, we've seen sales intelligence data deliver insights into when B2B buyers may be entering a buying cycle so that we can get our sales message in front of them at the right time. But what good are all these tools if you don't have an effective process for generating sales after you've engaged a prospect? The ultimate goal is to sell your product or service and deliver a transformation to a customer that's of equal or greater value than the amount they they pay for it, right? You have to have some reliable process in place to do this. But now, as the sales tech landscape becomes more mature and sales tech stacks get bigger, It's now necessary for a sales process to incorporate into it the technology that's being used. You need a strategy for how to use technology to get to your ultimate goal. Well, my guest in this episode is an expert at doing just that. Megan Mishak is a sales strategist and trainer for B2B sales teams. She helps sales teams build and rebuild sales processes so they can use technology to make sales as efficiently and effectively as possible. In this episode, we'll take a look at a specific example of how Megan entered an international sales org that was pulling itself in multiple directions, how she implemented a sales framework that was proven to work by looking at the company's own data, and a way that she reverse engineered natural human instincts to get sales reps to want to use her new system, which led to faster user adoption and immediate results inside of one quarter. We'll discuss the three top reasons that most sales teams underperform a data-driven way to determine the areas where you can see an immediate positive impact in your sales numbers and how putting a twist on an existing sales methodology can be the difference between that didn't work for us and a pretty revenue graph that goes up and to the right. Are you looking to generate more sales and revenue? If so, make sure you listen to the very end of this episode and I'll see you on the other side. What if you knew exactly how to use cold email, LinkedIn, the phone, and other sales channels to get new meetings and customers for your B2B product or service? Morgan Williams is an enterprise sales rep that's obsessed with cold outreach. If you're sick and tired of fluff, theory, and general advice on how to sell to cold prospects from people who haven't sold anything in the past 20 years and instead want detailed, tactical, step-by-step instruction, this is the podcast for you. Each week, he'll interview salespeople, consultants, and entrepreneurs about actual outbound sales campaigns they've run with real numbers and results. 
next conversation will be a deep dive into deconstructing a specific campaign's results, as well as the strategy behind it. You'll get the opportunity to peek behind the curtain and see what's actually working now in cold outreach. Welcome to Outbound Metrics. Megan Mishak is the founder of Path to Presidents Club. Path to Presidents Club is a consultancy that helps salespeople and sales leaders achieve their wildest dreams. Whether you're a salesperson looking to get to President's Club in your first year or a sales leader looking to get to $100 million in revenue, Megan can help. Megan, pleasure to have you on. Are you ready to dive in? Absolutely. Awesome. How does Path to President's Club get results? So I focus on three main metrics. I help people close more deals with deal qualification. So essentially creating checklists for them to make sure that they're on the right track with every opportunity. I also help teams close bigger deals through usually regular coaching and training that helps them transform their sales process. And finally, I help them scale teams through very measurable ways of capturing onboarding as well as sales coaching. So, you know, if we have people that go from role to role, a lot of times coaching and onboarding is very informal. And so a lot of times I work with technology and formal systems to achieve results where people didn't necessarily think there was a, a big problem. Mm-hmm. And I assume once you close more deals and bigger ones, the team scales, then you need to kind of come back around and revisit and see like as the team grows, you know, things change, becomes a little bit more unique. And then you kind of, it's like a cycle, it seems like. Yeah. And I love that you said that too, because a lot of times where I start And of course, it depends on the organization. But usually I start with when I'm in a full-time role with onboarding because very naturally I have to onboard myself. But also if a company is going through a big hiring spree, usually they just need to get people into the role. And then if you do deal qualification, a very natural next step, because if you implement a checklist that tells you a little bit more around where your strengths, where your weaknesses are, for both individual sellers and the team, then you probably need a a plan of attack for how to improve those areas. And that's where ongoing training and coaching can come in. So it's definitely a cycle. And that's where I found a lot of success in in full-time roles over the last uh, five or six years in sales training and enablement. But I'm also doing consulting work to help people if they just need one big project at a time. Cool. What would you say makes path to president's club different than other consultancies so it's such an interesting question because there's a lot of different trainers out there and i i mean personally i've benefited from a lot of trainers in my career as a seller so for me i've been in training and enablement for the last six years and i think what that specific experience has brought a lot to me as a consultant and why I was so eager to talk to you is because the the intersection of training and technology is a big part of what I do. I see so many people who are skeptical of training because it hasn't worked in the past. Uh-huh. And a lot of yeah, we probably everyone has a story, right? right. Um, I always tell the, the example: how many times you've gone to a conference or read a book, and you have all these notes, and you're really excited to implement it, and then you find that six months later. You find the book and you're like, oh, I forgot to do all mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So for me, being in enablement for the last six years has meant that I wasn't only in charge of bringing training to the company, but my personal promotions and my compensation, everything in, in terms of my results um, depended on holding the team accountable to those trainings and actually having focusing more on the transformation, not just the training event. Right. So you're looking at the intersection of training and technology, right? And then not just like executing the trainings, but how those are applied and implemented. How do those trainings translate into results? Yeah. If it actually works and not only works in the short term, but in the long term as well. Cool. Question on that and kind of what spans have you seen like training? Because I think people usually think about training. Yeah, it takes a long time, right? To see results. Da, da, da. Have you seen them kind of take re- training, take turn into results faster than like Absolutely. You know, six, nine months? 
Yeah. And it is interesting as well, because when I say technology, I don't even mean systems, but I also mean processes, right? And it's interesting. My my entire career, I've just been incredibly ambitious and even more impatient. And it also is something I bring to training because for me, I didn't want to just sit around and wait for 10 years to be successful in sales. I wanted to use every tool in at my disposal to be successful as quickly as possible. And so when I think about training, I also bring that to the work that I do. Mm-hmm. And a good example is employee like sales onboarding. Mm-hmm. So many teams are just okay with it taking a year. They're like, oh, it's fine. They'll figure it out in the first year. And one, most salespeople don't want to just wait and, and see if they're successful, right? Right. But a lot of times they just don't know if anything else, if there's like a better option. So for me, I can, I've, I have a proven framework that has allowed me to, to help people get meetings with companies like Burt's Bees in the first two weeks in the role, even, you know, starting fresh out of college and typically getting sales people their first deal, even when the average sales cycle is six to eight months. You can, you know, get your first deal in in three to six months, mm-hmm. right? So I think that that's a really interesting thing that we can we can assess over the next few years with with more people going into training and enablement is really figuring out what's possible. And I think that the same thing that we can do with with technology, right? It's saying maybe I don't have to work fifteen hours a day. Maybe I can work a true nine. And, mm-hmm. and it can achieve the same results. Sure. Do you offer productized pricing or custom pricing? What you do? Yeah. So it's pretty. It is custom, but it is kind of both, right? I typically only work with teams. I don't necessarily work with individuals. But I think one thing that's interesting about my pricing is that it it's more for the overall framework. So my entire goal is to help teams implement frameworks rather than one-time training. Mm-hmm. I want to come in and help them work with their managers to, to so that when I leave, it doesn't just go away. The knowledge doesn't just happen in a one-time event, but it's almost like using training as a technology. So a lot of times behind the scenes, I'm working with the implementation specialist to ask the questions like, what systems are you using? I'll give you a quick example. When I do, um, usually I do a six-month contract for sales coaching. We focus on stages of the sales process, right? So mm-hmm. every time I go in and I assess one part of the process, if they have gong, I'm actually getting into their gong and building keywords. I'm building you know, trackers. I also build a scorecard for every stage of the sales process. And I host call reviews with that scorecard I can actually show managers what it would look like to host regular coaching sessions using the tools that they're already using, but they're probably just not using to the the full capacity of the the system. Training as a service, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Who is your ideal customer? I typically work with teams of around 5 to 150 salespeople. And a lot of the time, the customers that work with me are between Series A and C. A lot of times they've either been through a round of funding and they want to maximize the investment that they've gotten and they need to show results from the, uh, those investments very quickly. So a lot of times they're looking to, to transform the way they actually, even if you're, you've just been through a round of funding or if you're preparing for a round of funding, a lot of times the goals are the same. You're looking to mature the way that you forecast deals. A lot of times forecasting, in, unless you have deal qualification, is very immature. And investors typically don't like that. Mm-hmm. So again, using the technology at your disposal, but actually implementing frameworks that can help you say, this forecast is actually accurate. It's going to close. Things like that can be really effective. Or if you've just been through a round of funding, you probably are going to have a big hiring spree. And so you need to make sure that those those reps are all successful. So that's where a formal onboarding program can be really effective. Awesome. Going into the example that you have for us today, can you kind of set the stage for you know the the background on kind of what we'll be looking at the process? Moving forward. Yeah, 
I thought a great example was medic. So for those of you who are not familiar, medic is one of those terms that you may have heard thrown around on a lot of different sales podcasts or, or on LinkedIn. Medic is an acronym for metrics, economic buyer, decision criteria, decision process, identified pain, champion, and competition. And what it is, is simply a checklist. When I think that all of us, like I wish I had a checklist for all of my deals much earlier in in my sales career. What this is called is a deal qualification framework. And how you can use it is to make sure that on every opportunity, you're checking those boxes. Do you know who the economic buyer, who holds the budget and makes the decisions? It's actually a, a pretty simple concept. But if you ask anyone who has tried to implement it, a lot of times it doesn't, <laughs> it's really hard to implement because something that is just a checklist, say like it's hard to get people to use it. It You can do a training once and it can be very expensive. Mm-hmm. And then six months later, people are not using it. They forget what the terms mean. And so it's actually something that can be very challenging for salespeople and sales leaders to see success from. And just to touch on what those each of those bullets real quick, metrics. Economic ex- buyer. Yeah. yeah. So metrics is essentially have you actually identified a compelling reason for them to to make a change, right? Like why do anything? Economic buyer, have you identified the the person who holds the budget and is going to sign the contract? Decision criteria. Do you actually know outside of what your company does, what are the things that they're looking for in a solution? Decision process, how will they evaluate, select, and actually bring on a new vendor? Identified pain, have you identified the, you know, a compelling reason for them to change? And if you think about metrics, it's more of like success metrics. Pain is, of course, the impact of making no change. Champion. Do you have someone within the organization who has power and influence, who actually has a personal win, and who can sell for you internally? And finally, competition. Are you actually going to be the best solution for them? And have you been selected as the vendor of choice? Gotcha. That was a very quick summary, but you can see how complex it can get. Sure. Right? Yeah, there's there's like little... You got each one of those is a bullet, and you've got little... There's like, like many five questions. Right. Actually, I love that you said that too, because when implemented really well, it, they can become micro stages mm-hmm. within your sales process. So it is really interesting concept. And for me, when I first heard about it, I was like, this is, in, this is incredible. We, why isn't everyone using it? But for sure. anyone who has tried it, you're like, oh, this is why. Because it's really hard to get every single person in the organization on board with the same checklist and with the same process for checking those boxes off. Mm-hmm. So why why medic instead of Bant, Champ, you know, all the other ones out there? Yeah, for me, it is interesting because I've gotten this question um, a lot, and for me, it is it's there's it's not necessarily the best solution because mm-hmm. you also have to think about for. Like what team you're, what are you selling? Who are you selling to? But Medic, in my experience, is the best framework if you are selling into complex enterprise B2B solutions, simply because it is the most comprehensive. So if you have a six to nine month sales process, you need a little bit more than simply asking, like, do you have budget? Do you have authority? Mm-hmm. Right. Even need, for example, need becomes it's it's really worth it to separate it out into metrics and pain. I actually say gain and pain. Mm-hmm. You need to make sure that you have both. And to your point earlier, even each one of those can be like five questions. So as you become, as you sell into more complex deals, you need a more comprehensive solution for how you're actually catching all of that data within a longer sales process and making sure that you're capturing every single piece of the puzzle. Sure, that makes total sense. But if you're yeah, if you're if you're in a very if you're in a more transactional and shorter sales process, then you probably don't need something as 
complex. Sure. Who was the client that you implemented this with, the partner that you implemented this with for this case study? Yeah. So this was one of my very first clients as a consultant. And they, I believe they uh, they had just gone through Series B about a year and a half before I started working with them. In that time, they had just brought on two new sales leaders. So one CRO, and then he brought in someone to lead the EMEA team. And they had come from much larger, more mature sales organizations. And why they were brought in is to mature the sales process and to really help them sell, again, close more deals, close bigger deals, and also set up the foundation for the sales team. There wasn't really a forecasting model. It didn't work even if even the you know existing one. Um, there was a ton of inconsistency across the team, especially because they were a global organization. They had sales teams in Germany, North America, EMEA. I think they even had, they had a few additional global markets. And within every market, every single person was doing something different. Gotcha. So in uh, what industry were they in? They are in e-commerce. Okay, cool. And what problem do they solve? Like, what do they sell? So they are, they essentially create e-commerce sites. So it's B2B SaaS. They also have a few different types of products. And they're also selling to a lot of different types of companies. You know, those huge companies that a lot of people would recognize. And also they have a lot of clients across the globe. So even just uh, the, the value props and the way, and even they're selling into different markets as well, different industries. So for them, not every client is the same. And so it's, it was very interesting too, because the framework that we used with them had to appeal to all of the different clients, all of the markets they were using, and even the different types of sellers in those markets. Sure. So they were they were selling into SMB enterprise. Yeah, both. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And so when you were helping them, they're prospecting to those organizations. Where where do we start when you first engage them? Like, uh, what are you looking at? Like day one, can you take us through that? Yeah. So they engaged me because we had we had known each other from a former organization, and. To be honest, I'm not sure if they if they knew exactly what they were looking for. They simply knew that there was a ton of inconsistency that they weren't necessarily able to report to their investors in a way that was um, consistent and accurate. And they knew that they also wanted to just up-level the way that people were selling. They wanted to be able to not only help the people who worked with them at that moment, who were a bit more junior. Um, they wanted to make sure that they could grow within the organization, but they also were trying to bring in top talent. And so for what we were doing, they had both had experience with Medic. And ironically, it the biggest pushback I got was, hey, we tried that, didn't work. Don't want to do it. Mm. And it was very interesting because this is the, these were the types of conversations I was having with them. Um, because I knew that it would be able to help them achieve their goals. But I also knew that a lot of times medic doesn't work in companies Mm. because it's not work. It doesn't integrate into their existing process. So one of the first things that we did was to have me partner with their sales operations team. They had a fantastic person in sales ops, but like a lot of different sales ops members, she was operating at like 200% 200% capacity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? right? Yeah. And yeah. and so for her, it was interesting. She partnered very closely with me on it. And we actually, a lot of times where training comes in is it's just seen as, hey, here's the training. We'll do the day of training. But we actually approached it very differently. And we started testing the framework first. So we worked with sales leadership to actually go in and customize the scorecard. I didn't even start with a presentation. I started with how can we actually approach this framework in a way that will be built for process versus built for presentation. And I think that's a very different way of looking at at what we do because again from seller's perspective they're like, "Hey, this presentation and this training is really nice and really fancy, but 
how do I actually use this? And how do I build it into my day-to-day so that even if I want to use it, it's not cumbersome. It doesn't add like five hours per week, which is just completely unrealistic and means that I'm never going to use it. So we started testing it. We actually built out fields that would be put into Salesforce. And we actually also tested it against live and live opportunities and past closed one, closed lost opportunities to test the data. So we had custom weighting for each field even. I know this sounds super complex, but it was actually kind of the point because we wanted it to be trusted. We wanted it to be validated. And more than anything, we wanted, when we rolled it out for training, we wanted it to be already be built into Salesforce and to have salespeople, when they ask a question of, okay, how am I going to use this? Like, where does this live? Have you thought about this? We wanted to have answers to all of those questions. Just to recap that, you took the medic process, right? Instead of showing them like, hey, medit, let's, you know, kind of fit everything into this box. You know, here's, here's what it looks like. You took that, had them customize it, right? To what fit what they were selling in their organization. And then use that model to backtest against older deals so you could see, hey, here's where this would have fit in if we were using Medic. So that when you install it, you know, through the tech and with salespeople, it can easily just flow. And there's no relearning or, or rehashing things or going back and, and like cleaning things up. It just now kind of flows with what they were already doing. Exactly. So yeah, by the time of the training, we actually gotten it into Salesforce so that instead of saying, okay, here is a spreadsheet that you can use. We don't really know where it lives. And you know, maybe someone creates a copy of it. They don't create a copy and they they actually edit the the document without realizing, you know, it's just like all of these resources mm-hmm. don't fit very well into how people, salespeople actually operate. We built it into Salesforce in advance so that when we did the training, it was more, we actually just asked them to form some hypothesis, like, hey, what do you think are the company's top three areas that they need to work on? And we got a lot of responses. And they were like, well, from the data, we've actually been testing this for a quarter. From the data, these are the top three areas. So it's also a very different conversation when we have training that is not just, here's what I hear from other teams, but here's what I hear from your team. Because we've actually tested this. And so it's a really interesting way, uh, again, of think of looking at how training can be better with technology and how technology can also be better with training. Yeah. There's something special about someone seeing their own data in Salesforce map to something, seeing yeah. deals they are familiar with, seeing like different terms and fields they're familiar with. There's, there is some magic in that. I was on a sales call and, yeah. and I, that happened. And I was like, okay, I can see how this would be helpful now. It's starting to come together. And I sure. think that the biggest piece is that a lot of times salespeople don't feel heard or understood. When right. we roll out these new technologies and new training, whether it's like a you know, training framework or, or even just like some, some training, we don't often think about what will this look and feel like from the seller's perspective? How after the training are they going to implement this? So I've even taken it taken it one step further with a recent client, and instead of just putting in Salesforce, we also used another system so that with this checklist for sales, they're not only completing the checklist and saying after a call and saying, "Did I check this off? Did I check this off? Yes, no." But we've actually even created templates that update so they can start taking notes within the template. And that template will actually fill in the Salesforce fields while Mm. they're on the call. So I think that's even the next steps. And there are systems coming out. um, You know, two I'm familiar with are Noted Analytics and and Dually is doing some very similar things. And so even systems like this will take it a step further where so many times reps tell me it's very cumbersome to have to like finish your week by doing data entry in Salesforce, Mm -hmm. right? So I think we're getting to that point where we're also using technology when the seller is actually completing the that exercise versus having them do something after they finish the, the, the exercise. And by exercise, I mean typically the sales call, right? Because a lot of people right. are like using Evernote 
and then they have to go into Salesforce. So it's also really exciting to see technologies catching up to those things. Yeah. And a lot of times it doesn't make it to Salesforce. Exactly. Right? And then it's funny because then you've just wasted a ton of time and effort on a system because not everyone is using it. Not everyone puts things into it. And there's also a lot of frustration when a new seller comes on and they're like, okay, well, nothing's in Salesforce. Why would I put anything into Salesforce? Right. You know? Right. So it's also creating a lot of like frustration. But I think technology is finally catching up. And what I want people to think about is really always thinking about from training and strategy, what will it look like for salespeople? And how can you actually bring together training and technology and enablement in a way that is truly built both for sales leadership and for salespeople? Absolutely. What were those three key areas that you found or from that team? Yeah. So it's honestly, it's always pretty similar, which is interesting to me. Most of the time when we look at where at the data and where teams are struggling most within Medic, it's metrics and pain. So they're not creating enough compelling reasons to justify a premium price. So a lot of times this means people are having to discount pricing or they just aren't necessarily, they're not able to close the larger deals. And it really goes back to discovery. The second area is decision process. So when you think about why deals get pushed constantly quarter to quarter or why forecasts are not accurate, um, it's because a lot of times we don't ask as much about the decision process. And so a lot of times we're, you're very out of control with that. People go dark, late stage in the process. You have the contract out. You don't know why it's not coming back to you. No uh -huh. one's responding. And so even getting more granular with that can be really effective. And then usually it is champion building because a lot of times we use this term champion without actually understanding what it means. And so even having one of my favorite things with Medic, having it in place, is that instead of just saying, do you have a champion? You're actually using some sub-questions under champion to, to validate that. So for example, like the three criteria of a champion that I teach are that a, a champion has power and influence. So we can actually test that by asking what level are they in the organization and how much influence do you think that they have over senior stakeholders? Then it has to be a personal win for them. So even just asking one question, hey, I understand what the company's goals are, but what are your goals? personally. Uh -huh. And then finally, the one that we have most control over as salespeople is, are they able and willing to sell for you internally? So that is where I usually focus training by saying, how can we stop selling to champions and start enabling them to buy from us? But a, yeah. to get people to listen to those statements, it actually is a lot easier to come at it from a data-driven perspective saying, hey, from all the deals we tested, these are the three where we think we can have a lot of improvement. Because if you just say, hey, we're going to focus on these three training areas, they're like, nope, I'm good there. I don't, why? Like, we're already so good at this. So mm -hmm. I think from a buy-in perspective, using technology to actually show from a data-driven way where the gaps are in the organization can be a really good way of making sure that you're not just training to train but you're actually having an impact on the company. By looking at data, you found these as the three key areas. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, what data did you look at to find those metrics and pain, decision process, and champion building? Yeah, so it was after we implemented um, Medic. What we did was we ran a in all of the... Um, we ran live opportunities as well as closed one and closed lost opportunities from a pilot group of salespeople. And... So from all of the opportunities we tested, those were the areas within Medic that had the lowest scores. Gotcha. How did, how did you gather that information? Was it from notes? Was it from sales call recordings? Like just like finding metrics, metrics and pain in a, in a closed one or, or closed loss deal. How did you actually find that information? Great question. So the way that I implement Medic, and this is actually relates to how it, it can be implemented in Salesforce, so many times it's subjective, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, right. have you uncovered metrics? Have you uncovered pain? Do you have a champion? Mm -hmm. Right? It's really easy for salespeople and like myself included to just be like, yep, got right. pain. 
But what I actually use is a custom scorecard. Mm -hmm. And so instead of asking, have you identified metrics, for example, I actually ask a set of questions and it's it's in built into Salesforce. So it's just a pick list. So for example, one of the questions in metrics is we actually ask them to list out in a text field. What are the goals of the company? What are the director level, the high level goals? And then we kind of test those goals. Mm -hmm. And we say, what is the strength of these goals? How compelling is it to the organization to achieve these? Like, what are the positive out... Like, how strong are the positive outcomes if they do achieve these? And even have you mapped solutions to these areas of value? Have you built a business case that maps pain to value to solutions? And so by asking those things... Instead of simply, have you identified goals? Mm -hmm. It can be much more effective. And what I find is that for salespeople, again, a lot of times what happens is you do one training. What happens when someone joins the next week? Right. They're like, what is this medic thing? And so if you can actually build in questions that help them not only give sales leadership the questions they need, but actually serves as more of a almost like a, a proactive list of things that they can do to progress the deal, the likelihood that they're going to implement those things is a lot higher. Mm-hmm. And like for, for you, is like, for me, I wish I had this much earlier in my sales career, right? Oh, sure. So for example, like one thing in Champion is we, we say like, have you leveraged executive, executive sponsorship to support this deal, right? Like, have you brought in your sales leadership to make some introductions and to try to get introductions to their senior leadership. And it just gives them like an entire list of ideas for every deal. And when mm-hmm. they say no to something, they're like, hmm, I wonder if I can do that in the next stage. Right. What was like the difference in responses from a closed loss and closed one deal or like one of those three key areas? Yeah. Great question. I actually get so granular that we create custom weighted fields. So every time they answer a question, it increases or decreases the score. And this is actually a lot of that. We usually test for a quarter. We test the scoring for each field. I work with sales leadership to determine like what are our hypotheses for the, like what the weighting should be for each field. And then as we go through the live opportunities, we actually say like, okay, one, should this question even, is this question valuable enough to be in the scorecard so we can keep the, the list of questions really tight? We also say, is this scoring accurate? And so a lot of the, when we go through these live opportunities and the close one, close lost, it's also validating the scoring. When you ask, you know, what is the difference? Usually we then create criteria for, okay, what does a healthy deal look like? It's a score of like mm-hmm. zero through zero through maybe like 30. What does medium health look like? It's a score of 30 through 60. What does high health look like? And um, one thing that I'm also working on with a newer client, because I'm constantly evolving the process as well, is even creating custom scores for each stage of the sales process. So as you see, it can get pretty complex, but the goal is to actually have in Salesforce a red, yellow, and green so Mm. that every time you finish a call, you're like, okay, I'm red in these areas. This is what I can focus on for the next call. And I'm green in these areas. I'm, you know, and so even if you look at a pipeline view, you can see this is a late stage deal and it's still red in this area. I need to make sure that I can focus on it. Mm-hmm. And that is truly the, for me, the definition of a healthy intersection of training and technology. Because if they can look at Salesforce and say, yep, I have done really well with Medic in this deal. I have high deal health. It's a a lot more effective than having to, you know, have these like separate systems and just have to have like medic in your mind, right? Mm-hmm. So implementing it into Salesforce and into the way that people actually use sales systems is the best way to not only focus on post-training retention and utilization, but also on the actual results from it. Yeah. So you're using this very granular detailed score scorecard that reps fill out eventually during a call 
right? And they have this framework. They're using, they're essentially using this as a framework for the call too, right? It seems like. Yeah. So that's another thing that I do. Yeah. And it can be used both ways. Mm -hmm. So I think in a, in a perfect world, they would actually be structuring their calls, figuring out, um, because a lot of what I do is as well is figuring out, you can create a sales process based on these stages, right? Out of this call, these are the things you want to capture. And to your point, yeah, why not just go ahead and say, I'm going to structure my call, like my prep sheet and my discovery questions. I don't know if you use a like notes template, but I personally do because mm-hmm. um, I'm forgetful. And so for me, I actually list out the questions and they're kind of grouped by the, the medic elements. Okay, mm-hmm. the first thing I want to jump into is metrics and pain. Like, why did you jump onto the call today? Hey, can you just tell me, can we start with a, a list of, um, you know, or can we start with a round of introductions and a little bit about your role and what your key goals are for the year? And so really structuring calls around the outcomes can be another reason for people to think about, again, how can I take this framework and make it built for sales reps? But I think it's then taking it one step further because a lot of times this is where the breakdown comes in, right? Mm -hmm. Because then sales reps have to go into the Salesforce, extract all the information. So if you can use a system where you actually have automated notes templates, Mm -hmm. so you can build it for your team. And then as they fill that out, it goes into Salesforce field. The most effective way to get people seeing results from a framework Using it consistently, using it consistently, mm-hmm. and also not complaining about it because it's actually really efficient. Mm-hmm. What technology is taking it from Notes to Salesforce? It's a really cool technology called Noted Analytics. Okay. It's also great because for teams that don't necessarily have their like smaller teams that don't have a very strong sales ops team, that system will also help you put the medic fields and and scorecard into Salesforce. So it does a lot of (laughs) valuable things for teams, whether you are a small team um, or you have, you know, a sales operations department is operating at 200%, doesn't have the capacity, or if you simply want to streamline the experience for your reps. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. I'm for like, I'm on the other side of the sales call now, a lot of times. And I'm being, which is interesting for me, because I feel like in the long run, it'll make me a better seller is yeah. being sold to and, and seeing like what I like, what I don't like and how, you know, how I like a call to be run. And I like, and I'm sure other people like when they're being sold to like someone who takes them down a very, doesn't have to be super custom, but just a very like to be led through the process. You know what I mean? To not just ask questions like, you know, what's your title? What do you, you know, what do you do all day? Right. But like asking yeah. very pointed, specific questions. And you're just like, whoa, okay, this person, you know, they've been here before and they know, you know, they understand where I'm coming from. They're at least close enough, right? Yeah. They can't read your mind, but you at least get close enough to know, like, okay, they're, you can tell they're operating super efficiently. And I think it's a very fine line. And I think that I'm glad that you brought this up because this is where I see another part of breakdown with frameworks like Medic. Because even with things like Bant, like there's there's one training and then a lot of times they're like, okay, go use it. And it can be really hard to figure out a way to work this into the sales process without it feeling like a checklist. Because there's a fine line between having a structured way of walking them through the process, I totally agree with you. For me, I hate when people, it feels like they're wasting my time. Like, I don't like small talk that much. I'm like, get to the point, Mm -hmm. ask me about my goals, talk to me about my pain, right? Like I need to, let's keep it going. Yeah. But I also don't want someone who's like, hello, I have all of these questions for you. Mm -hmm. What is your this? What is your that? Great, you know? And so I actually really like using technology in a way that can help people implement things. Even if you have, for example, that notes template I was talking about, I use noted analytics because that notes template, you can actually create one template and have people use it. And it not only just has like the, 
you can actually put in sample discovery questions for them to ask. And you can also, this is what Dooley is doing as well, is creating small sales, like elements of the sales playbook where people are actually taking notes. Uh-huh. So it can be a great way for sales trainers to almost be there with you on the call, right? If you have like a custom, a custom notes template that says, hey, this is how we like, these are typically three questions you can ask for this part. Remember to do this. This is, uh, you know, sometimes hard. And I don't know if you're a Gong fan, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of conversation intelligence, whether it's Gong or Chorus, all of the other systems out there. And I think it's also another great opportunity to either have um, medic trackers in Gong, but also mm. to be doing regular call coaching. So I'm a huge fan of also in having scorecards, like I mentioned earlier, for every stage of the sales process. And regularly doing call reviews where you're scoring them and you're saying, hey, these are three areas I think you, you did really well. These are three areas I think you could improve. I think there's a really cool opportunity to, to come to approach training and rep development with systems in mind, but knowing that you still have to customize them very heavily. Mm-hmm. You still have to, you can't just throw a tech in and say, okay, we have gong now. Right. Like sure. a lot of teams are just like, we have, we have gong. You're like, okay, well, how are you using it? They're like, mm-hmm. oh, we just record our calls. I'm like, oh, so you're not using it. Mm. You just have like hundreds of calls. How are people going to actually like, where do you even start? So I think it's a conversation a lot more sales leaders are are going to have to have with themselves and their teams over the next few years as we have even more systems that have to talk to each other, but also that can create a lot of frustration for sales reps when it actually adds time onto their day versus saving it. Absolutely. We've got this company you're working with. We have identified these three key areas that need attention, metrics and pain, decision process, inaccurate forecasts, champion building, right? So now the sales reps are filling out this information and the truth is being brought to the light, right? And so where, what happens here? Yeah. So at that point, we actually implement, that was the point where we implemented training. And it was really cool because it was so different from training I had done in the past. And we actually had people who had been through the pilot and we brought them up and we said, hey, what has Medic meant for you so far? You've been using it for a quarter now. And the, the responses we got were first, like, I realized that I need to be more proactive. Uh-huh. A lot of times I was simply reacting to whatever my client asked for or they, what they didn't do, right? I was like, okay, they gave me an objection. I need to handle it now. But Medic actually allowed them to, especially because it was built into Salesforce, as they were preparing for the call, looking at you know the company in Salesforce, looking at the contacts, they also looked at Medic. And they said, what are my areas that are red? How can I actually make sure that I go into this next meeting with the three key outcomes that I need to strengthen? It also made them very paranoid. Mm-hmm. And um, what I mean by that is it taught them to have a healthy level of skepticism with um, all of their opportunities. They're like, okay, this person says they're a champion, but they don't seem to be high enough. Right. So I need, to, I need to go and get someone better. And so I think having those like additional questions made people really think. Mm-hmm. And um, so by the end of the training, I, I followed up with them about a month ago, and they actually had some incredible results, even just after one quarter. So some that I can share are that within, in the first quarter, they actually got their, their forecast accuracy to over um, 95%. Wow. They knew that if a, an opportunity had a medic score of you know, a certain score, that it was going to close. And so if you think about as a rep, where do I need to focus my time and energy? So many times you there's also there's always these surprises, right? This deal will close and like you, you're like, oh, I thought this was going to close, but it didn't. So having a framework like this can really be an effective way of making sure you are spending your energy where you need it. And you can spend less time updating your manager on deals and more time getting their help on deals. Right. But right. also... 
I also had just implemented this about a year ago with my last full-time company. And then one quarter of implementing it, we had actually increased our our close rate within B deals. So for us, that was any, it wasn't the the deals that were like a forecast, which were like 95% likely to close, but it was usually about the 60 to 75% likely to close. We'd increased the close rate within that key area. So these were the deals that typically <laughs> could either close or slip to the next quarter. And we increased the close rate by 36% in one quarter. Wow. So yeah, it's really exciting to see. For me, even I've implemented this outside of Salesforce, just how much faster the results are and how strong the results are within a very short window of time. How long does something like this take to set up? You know, creating these custom scorecards, getting it to communicate with Salesforce. Yeah, so I would I typically recommend about a through a probably a four to six month contract. Mm-hmm. And it depends on you know who's implementing it and when. But for me, I've seen the most success waiting until like actually testing it on live opportunities and, and those retroactive testing and customizing for an entire quarter. And of course, you're not going to be testing it. like You're not going to be working with a consultant every single day, but it's more of using it within a pilot group so that by the time you get to training, it's actually effective. It's built into Salesforce. It's ready to roll. And then, you know, at that point, you can do a training um, and then you can, you know, continue to use it. But I would wait to even do training until it is implemented in Salesforce. It's been vetted, tested, customized so that salespeople know this is not just a, a flavor of the week or mm-hmm. a training they're, they're going to, you know, ignore but it's actually something that they can immediately see value from. Absolutely. So you implemented this training or uh, salespeople started looking at the green, yellow, red and Salesforce. They started to get more skeptical, started to get, to get a better sense of their deals, right? And, and the actual health of their deals because they were being graded so granularly, right? After doing that, after they started to, the kind of light bulb went off and you started implementing training, where did, where did things go from there? So the cool thing about Medic is that once it's implemented and I do the training, usually the training also includes me doing live pipeline reviews with salespeople. So um, even in the training, we have a live workshop, which shows them how to go through the session and like how to use the scorecard, how to use it in Salesforce. So by the end of the training, they, they're ready to go. I also have a few coaching sessions with the different teams to show managers how to use it within pipeline reviews and and one-to-ones with their team. But after that, they don't need me. So most of the time, it's kind of crickets from my clients Mm. besides win stories and, and metrics that they can share. But that's also the coolest part of it is a lot of times I hear from people like, yeah, well, we... We tried Medic, but we didn't want to have to pay for all of the refresh trainings, mm-hmm. right? Like we right. didn't want to have to bring someone in for to do another training because everyone forgot everything. So I have done a training with them recently because they liked the training and they had some new hires joining. But after that, they're they're simply using it in Salesforce and they're they're ready to roll. They're making some. They're continuing to test it and iterate on it in Salesforce because they own the framework at that point. Awesome. Awesome. But yeah, they've already seen incredible results in terms of um, the adoption, also in terms of the actual results from a forecasting perspective and from an actual close rate perspective. So they had a pretty low close rate um, and they've been able to increase it pretty significantly. So it's really exciting to see just in a short window of time how much of an impact it's had. And also from the salespeople who have reached out to me saying, hey, that training was so cool. Like I've even I had people that have been through medic training in the past and they saw a difference by using it with technology, by actually testing it and making sure it wasn't just the training, but it was worked into their process. For sure. What was the the e-commerce company? What was their previous forecast accuracy? I know it got up to 95%. Yeah, I'm honestly not sure what it was previously, 
because I think they the sales leaders were so new mm-hmm. and they actually said they're like, there's not much of a, a forecast system. So it wasn't even that it was even like 70% accurate. It was even that they they went from kind of a zero to 60, like they didn't even necessarily have a strong forecasting model. It was it was so wildly inaccurate. Gotcha. Just hopium, high on hopium. And, yeah, and honestly, I like it, it. Seems so crazy to say that, but a lot of teams are in that boat, right? Where they they put a number out and they don't hit it, and they don't know why they're not hitting it. So these leaders were very experienced. They knew what they wanted to do. They need they, they knew they knew that they needed a forecast model, and Medic really helped them achieve that goal. Nice. And you got those results for them within a quarter. What is their sales cycle just typically? So their sales cycle is is pretty, it, it ranges because they focus both on SMB and enterprise, but it's pretty standard. It can range anywhere from three to nine months. Gotcha. Okay. And they had people all over the globe and different teams. Everyone got on Medic like this, or did you have different like segments for... It was staggered. Yeah, it was staggered. It was a great question because they actually were hiring a new sales leader for the US team. So we actually started it. We started it very, very, very small with a pilot group, even within one of the sales teams, then rolled it out to the EMEA and, and DOC team. So we had London, Germany, and I think there were a few other regional sellers. And then we just rolled it out to the North American team after the the new sales leader was hired. So it was also really interesting to have them come back and say, hey, like we were really excited to roll this out. We they didn't even necessarily wait until the entire global team was ready for it. They had so much excitement because they saw the results from it. So we even we knew that that was going to be more of a staggered rollout. And so it was it was great to work with them because we even built that into the contract. We said, hey, let's roll this out for EMEA. We have it in the contract when you're ready for a North American training. You already have it. Like they, they already had it in Salesforce. So they just had to technically turn it on for that team. But we did come back and do the formal training. And then I just did a, a, another training for the new hires. But other than that, um, it's their framework. They own it. They have recordings if they want to, to you know, use recordings mm-hmm. for training. But they're also also uh, hiring a director of training and, and enablement. So honestly, I'm sure that, that that person will take the training and roll with it so that it will be fully their, their system to run with moving forward. Awesome. Any more metrics yeah. you can share from that company before and after? It was pretty recent. I've only been um, in consulting for the last six months. So yeah, I can... I One other... For me, usually the medic as a model, the results I've seen from that company, it was definitely in close rates. I can't necessarily disclose the the numbers there, but also um, on forecasting, it got them up to around 95% accuracy. From my last company, I mentioned the 36% increase in close rate, which was phenomenal. It meant that in um, our busiest quarter, just within one quarter of implementation, we actually beat our best in case forecast by millions of dollars, nice. which is, if you can imagine, the investors were very pleased with. Yeah. And also the company before that, where we had implemented even without Salesforce, it did take a lot longer for us to see consistent results. But within one year of implementing medic and value-based selling, we were able to increase the average deal size by around $150,000 to $250,000. So really exciting to see. I use that example to show just how how much faster you can see results by using technology for training. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Megan Mishak, thanks so much for joining. I appreciate it. Check her out at pathtopresidentsclub.com. That's pathtopresidentsclub.com or on LinkedIn. Megan Mishak. M-I-S-I-A-K. Pleasure having you on. Thanks for having me, Morgan. All right. You have a good one. I hope you enjoyed going into excruciating detail about Megan's sales process and experience with implementing it across multiple sales orgs. 
If you enjoyed this episode, you should know that there are lots of other smart and sharp sales pros just like Megan in my community. If you want to join, head on over to Facebook and search B2B SaaS Cold Outreach Mastery and request to join the group. There's tons of other folks sharing great tips, tricks, and advice about B2B sales and cold outreach. Search B2B SaaS, S-A-A-S, Cold Outreach Mastery on Facebook. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening.